Let's take the precious Word of God that we have. Thank you, Lord. And turn to Romans chapter 8. For those listening to this sermon that are not here in this audience, we have already considered 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, that describe under the New Testament we have the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God in a liberating power and a liberating dispensation by which we can be changed into His glorious image and from glory to greater glory before we're finally glorified in heaven. And you ought to consider that text. We have also read, considered, and sung the first psalm that describes the difference between the righteous and the wicked and their blessing and their judgment, respectively. Romans 8.29 For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is the word of the Lord for us today. God is building a great family by which He will get glory through eternity by having saved them from their profane wickedness and rebellion through the Lord Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. He bypassed the angels and reached down into the cesspool of humanity and saved some men For His honor and glory, they are vessels of mercy, and He has passed over others that He calls vessels of wrath. And the angels desire to look into these things, and He has done it the way that He has done it, so that He might show them the wisdom and the grace and the glory of His salvation in Jesus Christ. We considered the first half of the verse already. Let me very briefly remind you, that it begins with the word for, because verse 29 is connected to verse 28, and the last word of verse 28, purpose. To them who are the called according to His purpose. God has a purpose that is realized in calling men, and that results in some men loving Him. And for those men that love Him as a result of their calling, which is a result of God's purpose, He works all things together for good in their lives, in particular, in this context, the infirmities, afflictions, persecutions, and troubles of life. So we see the connection. For whom? We see the personal relationship that we have with God. It's not what the church It's you, if you're one of God's elect. For whom? He knows our names. He's inscribed them on the palm of His hand. He's written them in the book of life. He knows the hairs on our head. These are things that we've already considered. For whom He did foreknow. This foreknowledge is God's setting of His affection upon the elect. It is not God looking upon the mass of humanity and seeing those that really loved Him and wanted to live righteous lives and actually did so, 
and who sought eternal glory. When he looked upon men, and wrote Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, tell us that he did look upon men, he found no such men. He found that they were all gone away. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So when God did look down upon the children of men, he did not find any fulfilling any kind of condition. They were all workers of iniquity. So therefore he had to save them by himself, and he saved them by the good pleasure of his own will. Because it's his will that said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He did not have mercy on those who would have mercy on themselves or who begged for his mercy. He had mercy on whom he would have mercy. No angels at all of the fallen angels. Some men, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That is his foreknowledge. It's not his bare omniscience of knowing about the elect. It is his affectionate relationship toward them from eternity. It is his approval of them. It is his benevolent design toward them. It is the definition of the word no that we just considered in Psalm 1 and verse 6. His will, or his knowledge of men, is such, and I refer to the knowledge that is affectionate approval, that in the great day of judgment he will say to the wicked, I never knew you. Who are you? And they're howling, Lord, Lord, we've been your preachers. We've been your miracle workers. We've done many wonderful things in your name. We've built beautiful church buildings. We've sat at your table. I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. The foolish shall not stand in his sight. He hateth all workers of iniquity. The wicked shall not stand in the day of judgment. Right. So he will say, I never knew them. Oh, he knew about them. He knew everything about them. Because his omniscience has no limit. He has infinite cognizance and infinite recognition of every aspect of every man's life. But he never knew them in an affectionate or approving way. As I came to church this morning, I asked my wife, how does a 70-year-old man convince a 53-year-old man of the brevity and foolishness of life? How does a 53-year-old man, and I am 53, convince a 17-year-old of the brevity and foolishness of life lived without Christ? We are going to stand before a being I cannot describe to you. And we will give an account of our lives. And I will give the larger account. We have today, and He can forgive yesterday. And so we should confess and repent of our sins and our foolishness. Lest we hear those words. We don't confess and repent in order to be predestinated. We confess and repent for the hope of predestination. 
And by the hope, I mean the certain expectation of it according to the measure of your own righteousness. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. We are predestinarian Baptists. We believe that God has determined beforehand the destiny of all men. They can accuse us of all kind of strange things, but that's what we believe because the Bible teaches it. Predestination means your destination was determined beforehand, which is what the prefix pre means. So we're predestinarians because it's twice here in Romans 8, 29, and 30. It's twice in Ephesians chapter 1, and the concept of it is throughout the Bible. Right. God chose Israel, rejected all other nations, annihilated them. No mercy. God elected some of the angels that did not sin and cast the others down into hell to be reserved to eternal judgment. No mercy toward them. Mercy is a privilege of the divine being that is so righteous and just that he needs to judge all men for the sake of his own character and reputation. Mercy is a choice only when that choice can satisfy his justice. And he did so in Christ Jesus for us, not the angels. Jesus did not take on him the nature of an angel, but he took on him the nature of the seed of Abraham for you and for me. So we're predestinarians. What does it mean? It means God determined and guaranteed our destination beforehand. So the biggest question becomes, how do I know if I'm one of God's elect? I want to know. And we look at those verses. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. You can prove whether you're one of God's predestinated children or not by doing the eight things listed in 2 Peter chapter 1 and doing them faithfully. They are the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 through 4, which I gave you last Lord's Day as well, which says, the work of faith, so it's faith that results in works, the labor of love, It's love that results in actual service to others and the patience of hope. It is hope of eternal glory that gives you a cheerful disposition toward any negative event in your life. If you've got those things through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul would say, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. That's how you know your election. Every one of you should be more concerned about whether you have proven your election or not than anything else. It should be consuming you. We're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Oh, let us go there having lived like the Lord Jesus Christ. Arminians hate the doctrine of predestination because they say, well, that means God made some men to send them to hell. Okay? I don't know if I explained this last Lord's Day or not, but their argument applies just as much to their theology. In their theology, God looked down upon all men and saw who would believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. And He would save them because they believed on His Son, Jesus Christ. But at the same time God looked down and saw those believers, God looked down and saw everyone that wouldn't believe. I asked the Arminian, why did He create them then? Right. Why did their God omniscient, 
of who would not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would have to send to hell as a consequence of not believing, why did he create them? They end up in the same place. Absolutely the same place. Except here's the difference. Our God has a holy, wise, glorifying plan in the whole event. Their God is a confused, defeated, frustrated creator. That's the difference. Our God had a plan for His glory. He would show His wrath and His power on some, and He would show His mercy and His grace on others. Theirs, their God, He showed His love to all men. But His love is very impotent. It does not save any. They must save themselves. And we could go on and on. It's a waste of time. I want to come to these words. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed. To be conformed. We need to be changed. And the conformation, not the confirmation, but the conformation we need is to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is, that God's purposed ones, His elect, those that He has loved, and those that He has determined their destiny beforehand, that destiny is to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ, or the image of Jesus Christ, which means close resemblance and close likeness, but not the exact same thing, because we are not going to have His nature, nor His person, nor His works, nor His office. There will be a few little differences. So it's the image of His Son. But we want to be like Him in all the ways that we can. God wants us to be like Him, and we shall be like Him. Predestination does not lead to presumption. Our enemies, who hate the doctrine of predestination, accuse us of being fatalists, or antinomians, antinomians is the theological term used for the last several hundred years to mean those who have no law. Because they say of us, since we believe in predestination, we can live any way we choose. But we know that the only evidence we have of predestination is to live the way He chose. Right. Or we have no evidence. Our doctrine of salvation gives the greatest glory to God and lays the greatest responsibility upon man. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. They say that man's responsibility and God's sovereignty can't be reconciled. It can be reconciled easily with the New Testament. Salvation is of the Lord. Grace is all of God. It is entirely sovereign, and the choice was made before the world began. But the only way that we can lay hold of that is to be the most zealous of all creatures in His service and obedience. That's right. Thank you, Lord, for truth. They say that predestination leads to presumption. A popular and easy way that they use to attack our doctrine of predestination and says, well, if I were to believe that, then a man can live any way he wants. Our apostle would say their damnation is just. But speak that way. Romans chapter 3 and verse 8. Predestination does not lead to presumption. Predestination has a purpose of being conformed to Jesus Christ. Mm 
Now, I want that middle clause. I want the words, the phrase, to be conformed to the image of His Son. The words that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is building a huge family for His own glory, on which He can shower the riches of His inheritance and Himself and all that He owns upon them for eternity. God has chosen to adopt a huge family of many brethren for the Lord Jesus Christ. And He wants His only begotten Son to be the chief among the brethren. He wants Him to be the firstborn. Firstborn sometimes means the one born first. Sometimes it doesn't refer to the one born first, but one born later in the order of birth. Yet, that one holds the position of the preeminent brother. It's interesting, if you'll go through the Bible and read very carefully in the book of Genesis, you will in some places find sons listed by their birth order. Then God will turn that birth order upside down to tell you which son is more important to Him. What son was born first? Go read about Noah's sons. And go watch, and with Abraham, and watch the names flip upside down as God shows who's more important to Him. Jesus is the firstborn because He is the preeminent one. We want to give Him all the preeminence in the family of God. So in the latter part of the verse, there isn't as much there for us as in the first half. The latter part of this verse, God is building a huge family. They're going to be the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to own them as the children, which God has given Him in Hebrews chapter 2. You know it's an expression I like very much. It's one that Jacob said of his twelve sons as he met Esau. But here in Romans chapter 8, we want to give the Lord Jesus Christ the preeminence. So as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we lay hold of our adoption by faith, and as the Holy Spirit of God witnesses within us that we are the sons of God, that makes us the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... When we come together as a segment of His family in this place, we want to always make Jesus Christ the firstborn. We always want to make Him the preeminent one. We always want to be speaking of Christ. We are His little brothers. He is our older brother. He is the firstborn. He's been given the greatest portion of the inheritance, and He's shared it with us. He sits at God's right hand, and while we will sit with Him in His throne, it is still His throne. I want to come back to the middle clause. The conforming work of these words, to be conformed to the image of His Son, is what predestination is for. God has determined beforehand our destiny as being like the Lord Jesus Christ. The main emphasis on these words is glorification, the final phase of salvation. Let me show you why we make that conclusion. We let the context dictate that. The coming glory of being glorified was first introduced in verses 17 and 18. Where in the last half of verse 17, the apostle wrote, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Together. 
Jesus has been glorified. We're going to be glorified so that together we're all going to be glorified. He and his brethren. Verse 18. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's the glorification that's coming. If we jump to verse 30, I hope you can see it even closer at hand. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, God's purpose leads to foreknowledge, leads to predestination, to calling, to justification, to glorification. So that's the end. So that's the destination. It's the last place you go in a trip is your destination. And the last place that this road is leading us is glorification. It's our final glorification. And it's also been mentioned in verse 23 where it tells us that we are waiting for our adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. So the ultimate sense, the primary sense of God's work in the middle of Romans 8.29 is getting us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, glorified in body, soul, and spirit. Sinless perfection before the Lord. That would be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to leave you with that for the time being. You know, we have looked recently at 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, My brethren, don't be ignorant of this fact. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. As we're presently made up, we can't get in. We stink. Do you know what you smell like to an angel on your best day after a shower? Because you're corrupting all the time. Every part of you is corrupting. There's fluids dripping out of so many orifices. You've got orifices all over your body dripping fluids, right? I'm speaking of the pores at the moment. I won't go any further. You're a mess. We can't get in. So we are going to be drastically changed. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When Jesus Christ comes back, some will not have died, even though they're a very small minority. Paul would say, we shall not all sleep. Not all of us will have to go through death before the Lord comes, but the vast majority will. But we all shall be changed. Every single one, whether living or dead, is going to have to have a transformation of body in order to get into heaven. And that's the primary sense and emphasis of the middle part of Romans 8.29. That is what we have been predestinated to. And what a glorious destination that is to be in heaven with an incorruptible body, an immortal body, to be with the Lord forever, with a body like His. The Bible says we shall be like Him. 1 John 3, 2. We shall be like Him. That's the main thrust. But that isn't what God's convicted me to give you in the next few minutes. We shall give a greater account in the day of judgment for having called ourselves predestinarian Baptists, if we do not live with the end of that predestination as our main goal. If we come out of this church today, or any day, and the P word in this verse is the most important word to us, we fail. I want us to come out of this text today and every day with the C word driving us. Listen, the devil himself believes in predestination. 
Art thou come to torment us before our time? Do they know their destination? Do they know it's already set? They believe in predestination. We want our faith to be far above the faith of devils. We want our faith to result in conforming our lives to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be like Him in a day that's coming. But has He begun that process yet? Or is it not even started? He has started that process. And we should be working on it ourselves. And that is what I want you to think about for a few minutes. I sometimes think, and it doesn't really matter, but I I say this to get your attention. I would rather be an innocent Arminian believing another Jesus and another gospel mentally while conforming my life to the Lord Jesus Christ than having a good notion of predestination and talking about it and thinking that we're special because we have a mental comprehension of a doctrinal concept and a fact of life and eternity without being conformed to Jesus Christ. I don't want either of those options. I want both. But I describe it to make you think. Because we meet Arminians who are more conformed than we are. Let them meet predestinarians that are more conformed than they. And let our conformation adorn our doctrine. Let's not try to adorn our doctrine with logical reasoning and volume and multiplicity of points of proof, but rather from glory to glory, more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so easy for us to be content and for us to be haughty and for us to be secure in our rare belief in predestination because it does make us somewhat in a very small minority. But arrogant presumption in this doctrine coupled with hypocritical living is going to bring God's fierce wrath. You are going to face Almighty God and you're going to say, but I was a predestinarian Baptist on earth. And He will say, what did I predestinate for? To be conformed to the image of His Son. You never conformed your life. If a bad mood was coming on, you gave it full vent. If harsh words were rising in your tongue, you let them out. I predestinated against those things for you to be conformed to the image of my Son, Jesus Christ. He never acted like that during His life. Who are you? I never knew you. But I was predestinated. Oh no, you weren't. Oh no, you weren't. There is no sign or evidence of predestination in your life at all. How closely do you resemble Jesus Christ of Nazareth right now? If you're kind of lost 
at the moment as to what was Jesus really like, take your break and come back and I'll tell you. But right now, I want you to examine yourself and instead of taking confidence in the P word, take confidence in the C word and ask yourself, how conformed am I right now to the Lord Jesus Christ? How closely do you resemble Jesus of Nazareth? Have you been changed into that same image? As we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that is where we will end up. But He has already begun the good work in every one of His elect that are regenerated and sitting in an assembly like this. And if you're not changing and growing from, oh, I wasn't very glorious last year, but I'm more glorious. I can see the change. Thank you, Lord, even by the Spirit of God. Is that change taking place? We cannot fall back and sit on our laurels of predestination. We need to rise and get busy in the work of conformation. The word's only used twice in the Bible. Look at Romans 12 so that you can see the other one. It'll help. Are we Christ-like at home and abroad, in private, in public, in thought, in word, in deed, with the Word of God, with prayer, with others, with children, with civil authorities? Are we like the Lord Jesus Christ? We have quite a revelation given of him. Did he have women hanging on him during his life? Was he a healthy male? Was he a carpenter's son? Was he strong enough at the age of 30 plus to sit down and make himself a scourge and drive out money changers in the temple? Was he what we would call, pardon the corruption, but a red-blooded American? Did he have women grateful to him for all that he had done for their relatives? Did he have women that kissed his feet and wiped them with the hairs of their head and wept upon them and anointed his feet with precious ointment? Was he the most gracious man that ever lived? Yet he never sinned. The Bible tells us so much about him. He was tempted in all points like as we are. And every man in this assembly, every man in this assembly knows what that means. Yet without sin. How closely do you resemble Jesus Christ in character? If the end of predestination is confirmation to look like Jesus, should you show some of that progress already? God has done much already, and God has commanded much already before we get glorified. Though glorification is the primary thought in this verse, I cannot leave this text without exhorting you to match your present life experience and the progress of your life with the big change that is coming at the end. If there is no change now, there is no evidence of a change then. If there is no confirmation, conformation, then there is no predestination. So don't call yourself a predestinarian Baptist. Don't call yourself anything but a reprobate. You can take the R word home and rub it. 
You're reprobate. Reprobate means rejected. The devil and his angels are reprobate. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13.5 that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith or not, lest we be reprobates. And when we stand before Him to be reprobated is to hear these words, I never knew you. He has regenerated us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration was to quicken us and give us a new life. You believe you're born again. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been baptized and you assume that you've been born again. Well, if you've been born again, then you have a new man in you that has the liberty and the freedom and the power to live a righteous life. God has worked in you and you are to be working out what He worked in. You were supposed to read that last night in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. Look at Colossians chapter 3 with me. If you've been born again, then I want to tell you what's inside you and that you need to put on. And it is a daily work of confirmation. If we went to another land, we would be conforming ourselves daily by learning their language, learning their customs, so that we would be conformed to look like them. When you take a new job, you want to learn the politics of the new place, the corporate character, the mission statement, the rules of decorum at that place, the the, the dress code, whether formal or informal, and you want to conform yourself to it. I had turned you to Romans 12, and I'm sorry. Romans 12 says, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect and holy will of God. Don't be conformed. Don't let this world mold us to be like it. Transform yourself to be like Christ. But we're, we've left Romans 12 and we're now in Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. You remember, I've taught you several times in the last two years. The first few verses are describing a baptized believer. The first words of chapter 3, if ye then be risen with Christ. That is referring to your baptism. If you have risen in the symbol of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the waters of baptism, then you are to be seeking things above where Christ sitteth. On the right hand of God, if it's good enough for Jesus, in whose name we were baptized, and in whose likeness we were baptized, the likeness of his death resurrection, then we should be caring about the things that he cares about at the right hand of God. We are to set our affection on those things, because we're dead as far as this world is concerned, verse 3, and our life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 8, but now ye also put off all these, every day, today. Starting today, we need to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. Do you like those words? After the image of Him that created Him. Jesus Christ has regenerated you and given you a new man. 
And that new man is in his image. And he's created that new man in you by his almighty power through the Spirit of God. Now put that new man on. How do I put him on? By getting rid of anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, and lying. That's putting off the things of your old man that you have by nature where when you are conformed to the world. Because that's how the world lives. Along with the things that are listed in verse 5. And we put on the new man. And what is the new man? The new man is described in verse 12. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving. And above all things put on charity. And verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is the issue. It's not some mystical thing of putting off the old man and putting on the new. It's putting off the things of the old man that make us like the world. And it's putting on the things of the new man that make us like Jesus Christ. Because that new man is created in the image of Him that created Him. You have that within you. We have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 We're partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, the first three verses. That's what we need to put on. He has regenerated us to do this. You are able to do it. If you are in the vine Christ Jesus, you will be bearing fruit. If you're not in the vine Christ Jesus, you are to be pruned off and burned up. What will you tell the great God when you meet Him? That you were a predestinarian Baptist? You won't have to tell Him that you were conformed to Jesus Christ. He will tell you. He will say, Come ye righteous and stand on my right hand. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And then he will inform the righteous of all their labor of love and work of faith and patience of hope. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world is what how he'll describe the kingdom that he gives them entrance to because they were predestinated to it. But the confirmation is what he's going to describe as they stand at his right hand. He has sent his gospel ministers. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. God hasn't sent his ministers to entertain you. God has sent his ministers to conform you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. God gave to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ gave to his churches some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's the work for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's being conformed to His image before final glorification. That's the gospel ministry. Right there. That is the gospel ministry. Until we all, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing God's record and witness and testimony of Him, and learning all that the Bible has to tell us about the Son of God, our knowledge of Him, taught from the pages of Scripture and by the Spirit of God in our hearts, 
Ephesians chapter 1, we measure up closer and closer from glory to glory to glory until we reach the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. We won't have his nature. He is Emmanuel. But we're going to be close. We're the image of him. He is the image of God. The express image of God. He is described as the image of God in several places. You'll never see God. But we see a likeness of God in the face and the character and the countenance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if as we get closer to his image, we're getting closer to being God-like ourselves, which is what we ought to be because we are the sons of God, the children of God. So as we get closer to the older brother who shows us the character of an invisible father, I hope it's all plain enough to see. But, you know, that isn't the issue whether it's plain. The issue is what you're going to do about it. The issue is what I'm going to do about it. Do you look like the Lord Jesus Christ now to God and man? Are you more glorious a picture of Jesus Christ this year than you were last? Was last year a more glorious picture of Jesus Christ than ten years prior? What a terrible standard to measure ourselves by, isn't it, brethren? I'm so sorry to bring you bad tidings today. But I tell you this, that you put on this new man. He's given you a new man by regenerative power. And he has given you the ministry to bring things like this to bear on your life. And you are able to be changed into that same image from glory to glory. The Bible says that we're to lay aside all malice and envies and evil speakings and desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. That we may grow in glory and grace and be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we're baptized, we are to rise from that water to walk in Newness of life, Romans 6, 4. That's newness of life. A new life like the Lord Jesus Christ because now our life is is hid with Christ in God. That is the most important thing. And the overriding constraint on our life is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, and you're all claiming to be in Christ by being here today, and you're going to try to claim it before the Almighty God, but if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold! All things are become new. If they're not new, what is your excuse going to be for them in the day of judgment? You may have excused yourself from a lieutenant or a sergeant. You may have excused yourself from a teacher or a principal. You may have excused yourself with your parents. You may have, you may have made explanations to a sheriff. You may have made explanations to a boss. But none of that will work with our Creator. Heaven and earth will flee away from the face of him that sits on the throne. Your words will be dung in your mouth. Your words will be insolence. Your words will be rebellion to even open your lips. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. Let the Lord Jesus Christ praise you. He will not delay. He will leap to your defense. He is your mediator and he is your older brother. And he will not let a younger brother who has lived like their older brother and who has loved their older brother suffer for a moment. He will leap to your your defense. But are you worthy of him leaping? Are you one of his brethren? Do you look like him? I'm sick of myself. I hate myself. In my flesh. There is no good thing in my flesh. I'm a selfish, angry, critical pig. 
That isn't fair to swine. Forgive me, pig farmers of America. He sends his ministers to tell us that. In Christ Jesus, circumcision doesn't avail anything or uncircumcision. Paul wrote the Galatians who had heard so much about circumcision, but a new creature. Do you know what I say to you? Predestination up here isn't going to help you when you have to give an account for these, this, and these. Where have my feet taken me and what have my hands touched and what have I said and a whole lot of other things. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you know why he chastens you? Earthly fathers chasten us for their pleasure, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his, I need an H word, holiness. That's why he chastens us. Now, let me ask you something. If the main thrust and the primary sense of Romans 8.29 is our future glorification, I need to ask you this. If he's regenerated us and sent gospel ministers to put us into a church relationship and he chastens us for present glorying, should you be in, in a path of progress toward that? Since he's already begun a good work in you and he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The power of the Spirit of God is in every one of us to live above our sin natures. Paul said he could. I keep my body under. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. King Saul, the first king of Israel, became a castaway. Unusable by God. David sinned at least as equal to Saul. Maybe worse. But David repented. Repent! You can meet the Lord with a clean slate. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're not conformed and conforming, you have no evidence of being predestinated. And by taking that word and by sitting in this assembly where you hear it taught and its end taught, the end of predestination is to be like Christ. The evidence of predestination is to be like Christ. If you've just taken that word and you're resting on that, because it is the truth of God's word and you know it's found there and you know it puts us in a minority, but a minority does not mean that we're saved. It's to be like Christ means that we're saved. That I think like Jesus Christ. You say, what is that? Come back in a few minutes. I speak like Jesus Christ. I love like Jesus Christ. I forgive like Jesus Christ. I pray like Jesus Christ. I delight in God's Word like Jesus Christ. That shows the work of salvation. That shows the work of regeneration. That shows the fruit that the gospel ought to bear in our lives. That shows the evidence of God's chastening hand in your life. If your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, they had the most conservative and straightest sect of the Jews' religion. Ye shall in no wise be predestinated. You are a reprobate. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. If you neglect God's will in any area, you are in danger. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, 
which is in heaven. I love reading in the Gospel of Mark. That was Matthew seven twenty one. I love reading in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus said, when he was told, he was interrupted, when he had a crowd of people around him, your mother and your brethren want to see you. He said, behold, my mother and my brethren are they that do the will of God. Oh, that is how we get to be conformed to Jesus Christ. He called them what? My mother and my brethren are those that do the will of God. Because God is going to say, when you're crying out, Lord, your words mean nothing to me. Why didn't you do the will of God? The will of God is your financial prudence, your love of your spouse, your cheerful thankfulness for everything in your life, your joy, your mercy. You love it. You love mercy. You honor authority. You love the house of God and you're early and you come ready to participate with a full heart. And on and on we can go when we shall. But my brethren, if you say, I know him, and you don't keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And when you stand before Almighty God, the fact that you're trying to lie to him is just going to add to your judgment. You may lie to yourself, that's called deception. You may lie to us, that's just being a lying hypocrite and a false professor in the house of God. I'm done. We are predestinarian Baptists. Predestination has its goal of us being conformed from glory to glory to ultimate glory to be like Jesus Christ. That is the only evidence we have of predestination is to be conformed to Jesus Christ. We call ourselves Christians. We've been baptized in His name in a picture of His Life, death, and resurrection. We need to examine ourselves and ask the question, how much do I look like Jesus Christ right now? Has He begun a good work in me? And am I changed into that same image? Am I moving from glory to glory? Or am I stalled in a rather inglorious condition when we come back we'll look at what the life of Jesus Christ was so that we can measure ourselves by his character right now we need to ask ourselves are we conformed are we conforming do we show the work that's already been done coming through our lives or do we have some sort of a hope that we're going to be in the number conformed in that day there is no hope to men who do not show the evidence of it now. The Bible doesn't give that to you. The Bible doesn't give it to any of us. Lord, have mercy upon us and convict us by your Spirit. Amen.